American Dream. Give us a turtleneck, Tom Rennie. Give us a turtleneck, Tom Rennie. Hey, look, man, things are getting cold in England again for some reason. That cold that you all had on the East Coast in America for a few weeks, we've got it here now, and I'm getting old, and I'm feeling the cold, and I'm going to try and protect the money, which is my throat. Actually, that makes me sound like I do a whole other job. Anyway, it's the Week in the Tackle, Week in the Tackle podcast. Uh, with me, Tom Rennie, wearing a turtleneck alongside me as a man who listened to my live commentary of Man United against Leicester this weekend and was name-checked in it because I will read anything put on the teleprompter. It is the master of Dunsethery himself, Mr. Brian Dunseth. How are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, by the way, great stuff. It's fun listening to you. I get up on the trail. I, I fire up the SXM app. I, I listen to the game, and you were you were at Old Trafford. And uh, I was out with my dog. Sookie, we were up in the mountains. We were like cruising around. And so I got you in my ear, got my water pack on. I'm running dogs with me. I'm avoiding other carnivorous animals. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about Manchester United. So uh, a, good, a, good, a good weekend. Good weekend, yeah, good. despite the results. It was a fun game. We'll get to Man United because I've enjoyed the meltdown. We only drew. Quick, someone get me the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Ridiculous uh, state of affairs. It, it's yeah. perfectly fine. Um, you know, you you somehow got a point from nothing. You were mm. crap and got a point. You know, mm. that's something to be enjoyed. But no, the 90s happened, so we can all be more depressed than we need to be about it. Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. You mean when you have seven defenders on your game day roster? That doesn't on, indicate on. any type hold of on. attacking prowess? There's a lot of problems, a lot of problems, but we will get to it. But there's a couple of bits we should start the show with today. Okay. Um, firstly... Do we get to do Week in the Tackle live in Qatar? Are we going to, surely, you and I get to go to Qatar, we can do a week of Syria shows, mm. and we could do Week in the Tackle in the week of the England-United States of Dusty Roads game. Like we've got to. We've got to go. We've got to be able to go, surely. Thanksgiving in Qatar, night before. Oh, could you imagine? Could you oh, imagine? How, how excited were you when it was England? Though? Honestly, oh, uh, uh, I, was I was so happy. Listen, I was walking through Costco and I had my, my phone on the draw. By the way, FIFA, get over yourself. Get over You're yourself. terrible. Your You're production terrible. sucks. The whole, whoever's putting this show together. Oh, I've got to tell you, <laughs> that I spoke to someone who was there. I spoke to a load of people. I know a few people that went this week, this week right? And I was doing the, the Friday show on Sirius and... Someone texts me saying, don't worry. They've told us it's going to be an hour. Like they're going to make it an hour for the yeah. draw. And it ended How? up being nearly four hours of just dirge and nonsense and crap. Just put the balls in a bag, get the balls out of a bag, just and release the PDF yeah. and we're done. That's it. It was horrible. Uh, and, and so I was like, well, I'm going to miss this. So I've got to like watch and I'm like, you know, I've got a four-year-old in the cart and we're like going through Costco, loading up the cart because my three boys are hyenas. Um, and, and my wife's like, what are you doing? What, like, come on. Like, I need your help. Okay. I'm going to help you. But like, I got to watch the draw and it starts at this time. And like, by the way, the Costco in Salt Lake City on 21st, well, just off 21st is the largest Costco in the world. Oh, really? The largest Costco in the world is in Do you Salt do Lake your City. regular shopping in the Costco? Because we just go there for like the bulk bin bags and Danish pastries. Yeah. Well, again, 
going to be 13, going to be 10, and a four-year-old. Hyenas. They're, I don't get out of Costco for anything less than like 300 plus. <laughs> like if it's under 500, it is a great trip to Costco. It's a great trip. So, I mean, we do a lot of cooking at home, like, we, yes. you know, lunch, boys' lunches, and then, you know, they got football all the time. So it's Those just a giant lot giant cakes. Those giant cakes, they're like $4.99 over here. That's like $8 for a giant cake. Yeah. You can feed like 60 people. Yeah. We are available for sponsorship. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> the giant chocolate cake. Just and throwing the it apple, out there. Uh, by the way, Costco, you're missing out on something. Ready? Apple fritters. Just hear me mm. out. Apple fritters. If you sell apple fritters by the dozen, you are going to make a gajillion dollars. Quick in the tackle, sponsored by Costco. Apple fritters available nowhere. Um, but Do you got, know what an apple fritter is, by the way? Yeah, it's like a, 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 it's a, a flaky, appley pastry. No, isn't it? No, it's oh, like what a, am I thinking of? It's like a, it's like a doughy. It's like it, so they're usually like darker, like between like a between like a black and a brown kind of color scheme, like dough. They're deep fried, but they've got little chopped up pieces of apple in it. And then once they come out of the fryer, they're just sucker punched with sugary goodness on top of Of course of they're deep fried. It's American food. Of course, yeah. Of course I mean, we're the fried. fittest nation in the world. Uh, someone texted me this week and was like, oh, we're from America for my friend's 30th wedding anniversary. Got any uh, dinner recommendations? I said, we don't deep fry much food here. <laughs> So you might need to just go hungry. Happy anniversary, baby. <laughs> Did you In send like them to Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> we don't have them over here. Oh, we have the occasional a... McDonald's, but I won't eat there because out. I value my How stomach. did we get this far off top? So, Anyways, the, the draw. World Cup draw. Are you excited? Yes. I'm excited about it. I'm Firstly, so excited. they've got to fly us to Qatar. Like They have to fly us to Qatar. Um, let's talk to the money men. So let's get over there. Weaker programs, building up to it. And you and me can be loose in Qatar. And that means we can go to all of the... Uh, well, actually, it's all dry, isn't it? So what can we do? Uh, we could go, go for a run. <laughs> we go well, for a nice, clean, living run. Yeah. Well, I think what we, we should invite Billy and Ja Rule just to make sure that our, our housing accommodations This is your second settled. Fire Festival reference in two shows. I'm just you letting know you know. There's, a, there's only one solution to this. Did you just it's watch Billy this recently? No, it's Bill and Ja Rule. Listen, there's no, there's no housing. There's no, there, like, uh, it's all gone. There's nothing there. Between, yeah. between the FIFA constituents, the players, and the media, there's, there's not enough housing for the fans. Do you know, there, there's so much that I can't do on this program that I might tell you when we're not on air about Qatar from people who went. I, just, okay. they, I just can't tell you. Okay. But um, it's pretty much everything you imagine that Qatar is going to be. And the, the sort of, like, I saw one, a staunch defense from someone. Again, I'm not going to name people here because I just don't want to get sued. But someone was like, you know, for the region, they're really progressive. And the response was, yeah, we're better than Saudi Arabia. It's not the defense you think it is. Mm. You know, it's literally illegal to be gay in the country. So they probably shouldn't get a World Cup. Oh, no, but we have to adhere to their values. Their values aren't our values. Yeah, that's fine. As long as the values aren't, you know, <laughs> abhorrent. You know, I'm happy to not eat meat in your country. Or I'm happy to only eat meat. In your country, I'm happy to, uh, you know, pl only play chess on Tuesdays. I do whatever you want. You know, I'm an atheist, but I'm happy to take my shoes off in your temples because you believe and I don't. You know, I'm happy to show an appropriate amount of respect, but illegal to be gay. You're a, and so I don't think. Sorry, Tim, you should have the World Cup, okay? And I'm not going to budge from that. And I look forward to us being invited to Qatar to host some <laughs> week in the tackle shows. 
Uh, it's like, the day after Thanksgiving, Tom. Yes. England, USA. Oh, how excited okay. were you? Do you know, I'm actually really pumped about it. I think it'd be fantastic. A, because I'm an Englishman who works in America on soccer. So cha-ching, baby. Um, I'm available to anyone who wants to talk to me uh, about this game. And also Scotland might be in the group. My family mm. is Scottish. Fantastic for me. And Iran. So three out of four ain't bad. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. It's a great group for England, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah. I, I think they should beat everybody in that group and look at the other yeah. groups that are in there. Yeah. Um, you know, Belgium and Belgium and Croatia in the same group is a nightmare. Spain, Germany in the same group is a nightmare. Uh, I'm not sure Brazil are too happy with Serbia and Switzerland. Uh, Portugal, Uruguay in the same group. You know, mm -hmm. there's lots of tough ones out there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, no disrespect to, to the US, but I'd rather play the United States of America, um, men's national team, uh, than Germany. <laughs> you know, that's just the way yeah. it goes. And I'm sure the US would rather play England than Brazil. That's the way it goes. Don't at me. That's the facts of it. The, the, this was a, a favorable draw. From an American perspective, I will tell you that I am much happier with this group than I would be if we were Canada drawing Morocco, Belgium, and Croatia, or yeah. we were Mexico drawing Argentina, Saudi Arabia, or Poland. So from a CONCACAF perspective, this is a very good draw. Now, listen, I'm, I'm watching U.S. fans. You guys, are, you guys are crazy. You guys are nuts, man. You guys are nuts. You guys are out here just talking out both ends. Like some makes a lot of sense. The others, you're ridiculous. And, and for any American that looks at this draw, it's like, man, we're good. This is good. Guess what? Every single team in this group, even Wales, Ukraine, Scotland, Iran, are looking at this group going, oh, what a great draw. Yeah. England, yeah, they'll win the group. But USA, yeah, we're good, man. This is a good group. We're getting out. We're getting out as number two. So listen, there's no easy pathway, right? No, no. easy pathway. But I'll, I'll tell you this. Like I, like I said when we were talking about the draw, I, I didn't want Qatar. Qatar – and the home team, there's just something about that that I always like. I, for me, I want to avoid. You did it watching Qatar, watching the Qatar hosts of the World Cup ever in the history of the World I, Cup. I agree with you, but watching them in the Gold Cup last summer, and you remember like all those videos about Xavi's, like Xavi's style. Look at Xavi. Look Xavi. at his team plays. Well, that's basically the Qatari national team. Mm. So they can ping the ball around. Listen, I get it. It's the World Cup. But after watching him at the Gold Cup, there's something to that team. And I think people are going to be surprised at the level of their ability. They're, they're going to listen, Qatar, Tom, you and I grew up playing FIFA, right? You play FIFA. Mm. If you're really good and your friend sucks, you play Qatar yes. and you let them be Germany. Right. So there's like in the back of our minds is like, well, Qatar sucks because they're like the terrible FIFA team. So they're going to get waxed. I'm just saying they're not a bad team, at least mm. aesthetically. They're going to be fun to watch. But I'll tell I, I said in the draw, I want Portugal or I want England. And everyone's like, why? I said, for me, in the group stage, I'd rather hit them there than have one of the, the hitting them in a knockout round. I would never want to play England or Portugal in a knockout round. So I, I'm okay. I like this. It's fun. It's exciting. And I'm walking through Costco, Tom Rennie, and I go, motherfucker. Sorry, Tim. I was like, this guy, this is perfect. We got yeah. week in the tackle oh. months. Week in the tackle daily for the World Cup. Mm. Every day, we're going to release something. Three minutes every day, live from Qatar. That's worth paying for our flights and accommodation.
Let's talk about domestic football. Let's talk about Man United a little bit. That was the game I was working on this weekend for, for TalkSports International team. You heard it in the mountains. And um, the fallout to me has been incredible, actually, over the last few days. Because Manchester United this season have got so many points they have not deserved. So many points they have not deserved. Yeah. And... You know, I'm thinking about Watford recently, where the Hornets should have won the game. West Ham recently, where somehow offside didn't count. And this game, where Leicester should have won three or four nil. And that whole Varane going down when he was kicked and then tried to play on, then went down screaming that despicable Dunsethery to get the James <laughs> Madison winner um, discounted and all of that. You know, it was, it was a tough watch. But the issue for me here is that you know, there are so many problems. They brought in a manager who's proven that what he can do is create a project at a club and they asked him to be Sam Allardyce. You know, it doesn't make sense why you'd hire this guy to do this thing. You may well uh, have just called Big Sam and got him in for a few months because at least he is a fireman to come in and put out some of the fires. Instead, you brought in a long-term project manager and said, here's 25 minutes rejuvenate yeah. everything please you know yeah. so so that's an issue right but there was no ronaldo out of the start of the season everyone was like oh cavani what a great what a great re up for cavani getting for another year it was obvious that cavani couldn't do another year physically he cannot play football at the top level anymore every week for man united we knew that was a problem they went for sancho anyway even though they had rashford and alanga and all these other people who could play there so all the problems with the game at the weekend they were all from months and months and months and months ago. And I saw a lot of people. Now, I didn't know during the game, because you're doing your own thing, you don't know what's happening in the Twitter sphere. You don't know what other people have said to push a narrative forward. It never even crossed my mind that Marcus Rashford would start. It never even came to, it wasn't even part of the discussion that David Connolly and I had on commentary that Marcus Rashford would start. Yeah. And then we came off air and saw the world was going mad about Marcus Rashford should start. Yeah. Um, you know, Gary Neville and, and people on TalkSport and all these people saying, why is Marcus Rashford not starting? What an insult to Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford's not been good for months and months and months and months. I agree with that. And he's not a central striker. So he's a left winger. And currently he's not as good as Alanga or Sancho. And so there was no scenario where he was going to start. And yet everyone was going mad about it. Ralph the imposter. Wreck it, Ralph. Ralph the idiot. And you're like... <laughs> Ralph, Ralph the idiot has looked yeah. at Rashford and gone, well, he's not playing very good. I can't possibly play him and he's not a striker. So he tried something with his best player as a false nine, didn't quite work. And then there was some narrative of, well, Paul Pogba's leaving in the summer. So why would he start in front of Rashford? And mm. I'm thinking, because we're in this season, you don't plan for next season, this season, you plan for right now. And right now, this incredibly average Man United who are way higher in the table than their performances this season deserve because of the quality of some of the individuals at certain moments, the Tottenham game, the, the West Ham game, good examples in, in recent times of that happening. And they're muddling their way through to maybe a top four finish, which would be an achievement for this team from what we've seen. And it's like, again, you've got a point from nothing and there's a meltdown. And it's another example for me of how this club needs such a massive recalibration. And I, I just thought it was a bit odd. I didn't afterwards. I didn't expect the narrative to be what it was during that we had during the game. Yeah. So for me, this, this is the weekend that broke me. I, I got to be honest with you. Um, 
going into the season, I mean, th- think about this. You go into the season, and, yeah, you're asking Cavani to play a bit role, right? And there's a, there's a certain amount of panic because, again, Manchester United gives away strikers and replaces them with even older strikers. The history of this club of going out and trying to find a quick fix to get you through two seasons that will, uh, I guess, allegedly at some point bring you a Lewandowski or a Benzema or a Harry Kane or even an Erling Holland, But that's not walking through the door. That's not walking through the door. So what do they do? They turn to these established, I would say, per, uh, outside of Cristiano, kind of fringe superstars, fringe superstars, but aren't the guy anymore, aren't, aren't the one that you can rely on week in, week out. So you head in the season, you add Cristiano Ronaldo. Still, I still have my reservations and thoughts about that one. You lose Mason Greenwood. Mason Greenwood was projected to kind of be that guy. He's not mm-hmm. ever going to play for the club again no. uh, based on what happened. Yeah. And then you let Anthony Martial go. You were about to let Jesse Lingard go, but Jesse Lingard got yanked back into the club because of what happened with Mason Greenwood. And then Marcus Rashford is not the Marcus Rashford that we expected him to be this season. The problem, though, Tom, is when you're, for me, when that, when that lineup came out, I looked at Rashford and I said, well, he's the only player that can play down the middle. In this group of players, he's the only one that can play down the middle. And, and well, I know, I know Alanga can, and I know, I know to an extent Sancho can, but for this exercise. Then I look at the bench. Alex Telish, Matic, Lindelof, Juan Bissaka, and Phil Jones. Mm. Who are you going to turn to? Juan Mata? I mean, by the way, Matic came on, and that was probably his best performance of 15 minutes in terms of how he was all over the field, ping the ball. It was like Nemanja Matic five years ago when he actually had legs underneath him. It's, it's a dark time, man. It's a dark time at Manchester United for as much of like this Pochettino or Eric Ten Hag. And guess what? He only costs 1.5 million in compensation. Oh my God. What this is going to be perfect. It's behind the scenes. The whole, there's no, this whole idea of like this infrastructure is being put in place. There's no clarity. And and I don't expect there to be week in, week out clarity, but this whole Rangnick situation, isn't he the guy that behind the scenes is supposed to be interviewing these, these coaches that are supposed to be walking through the door. I mean, by God, we, Darren Fletcher, what, what the general manager, technical director, whatever sporting director, he's getting yellow cards on the sideline. He's getting yellow cards on the sideline during home matches for his petulance and his anger for the way the team's playing and what the referee's decisions are. So this top four, where are we sitting in conference league next year? Well, to be fair, I don't even you, know. I don't even know if we'll make conference league to be honest lucky with you to with be the in the conference league because it's a battle between West Ham and United and Wolves for six, seven and eight. Avoid it and for all costs. I, Avoid I would, it for all costs. Well, that's a, it's an excellent point. I think because if, if you're the new Manchester United manager, whoever that might be, Look what's happened to Arsenal this season. Get rid of all those oh, other things and think about getting back in the Premier Champions League. Last two Premier League titles for Chelsea. But look, Tom, last look, two this, Premier League titles for Chelsea. They weren't qualified for Europe. But the that's whole that, thing with Man the United, table. the whole thing with Man United is, is is the fact that they don't know whether to stick or twist. They don't know whether to go this way or that way or the other way. And a lot of that becomes, it's it's so entwined with this baggage of legacy. It's so entwined. You're right. Yep. It, it's it's the biggest problem at the club. It's the biggest problem is that they don't even know the pathway to reality. Mm. They don't understand the concept of reality. And it's, 
you know, it's it's listening to Gary Neville and all the former Man United players on the TV talking about the club in a way that is so detached from the reality of the situation. And it's not just Gary Neville, it's what they've done to, you know, I saw Darren Lewis, wonderful journalist, and um, he was talking about the new manager. And his point was, um, any manager should be crawling over broken glass to become Manchester United manager. Darren, that's absolutely right. In 1995, mm. right now, this is not an attractive club to manage. It's not attractive. It's not appealing. It's, it's less appealing right now than the other Super Six. I'd suggest there are other clubs that have got financial backing massively that are more appealing to an up-and-coming Tuchel-type manager than Man United. Newcastle right now is more appealing because you're starting with a completely clean slate. Yeah, yeah. And with unlimited funds, they could overtake Man United in two years, maybe less than that, depending on how well they spend that money. If West Ham were given three hundred million pounds to spend this summer, that mm. for me is a more appealing prospect than what's happening at Man United because there's no baggage. There's no baggage there. West Ham beat Everton, a crap Everton at home, and we're like, God, we usually lose things like this. It's great, mm. you Fun know. Newcastle yeah. aren't going down. They're like, God, we're not going down. It's brilliant. So imagine yeah. them in a year's time. Yeah. Whereas Man United, done Seth their way to a draw against Leicester which they didn't deserve. And we've done two days of meltdown chat. It's anyone, who's, anyone who can just, if you could do a, a Will Smith two weeks running, um, not punch <laughs> someone in the face, do one of them, pew, you know, men in black memory wipes on anyone yeah, yeah, involved yeah. at Man United from 2005 backwards, they'd have a great year next year. But they can't and they won't. And Eric Ten Hag, if he is the next manager, A, should be the manager already, and B, he'll get bombed out in December when they don't beat someone five nil at home, like the fans and the ex-players who dominate the media <laughs> think <laughs> they deserve. The best decision Eric Ten Hag made is not walking away from Ajax in the middle of the season to take over this group, take over this lot. I, I it for me, it doesn't matter who the manager is. Oh, it's the number one most important thing, mate. No, no, because of this locker room. Oh, how, yeah, okay. how many managers has this group gone through? And, and everyone still kind of looks back and says, like, oh, it's Jose's fault. Well, what Jose did at the time, talk about Dunsethery, the fact that they, they finished, even Ole getting, that, getting this group to finish where they were last year. Mm. You see this team, and I'll just ask anybody, I'll give you as much time as you need. Give me a style of play. Mm. Just give me a style of play. Because I watch these other teams, and I know what they're trying to do. When I look at this group, I have no clue what they're trying no. to do. I see a bunch of extremely talented footballers that are individually within the collective feel like playing for themselves. Mm. And when I see, and again, like I, I heard, you know, why would, why would Bruno resign? It is about the money, stupid. Uh, yeah. Because inevitably, like Chelsea, they will outlast managers and that'll be fine. And they're getting their weekly paychecks mm. and, and, you know, they're, they're playing for a quote unquote massive club. So that's, that's what it's all about. Again, all of these players, yeah, their body language, Ugh. just the body language. The, the, there's the, something so wrong in that locker room, and it, it just bleeds onto the field with these poor results. And you're right. Listen, the reality is we've gotten a bunch of points and won games and, and gotten draws in matches that we didn't deserve, the team didn't deserve, because of the talent alone. 
Mm. Not because there's a future and a pathway and an identity. It's not an exciting team. At best, it's a transition team. We've got to move on. We've got to move on from Man United. We've got to move on from them, um, as the world has. Um, Because (laughs) one of the things they probably could have done is hire a world-class manager. I wonder if that's worked well anywhere. Let's talk about Tottenham. Because you and I said many, many months ago, as the world said, really, there's a world-class manager available. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should get him. And Man United dithered. And Daniel Levy was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm doing it right now. I'll do it under the cover of darkness in 20 minutes, stabbing people as I go. (laughs) And metaphorically. Uh, And that's exactly what he did. He got Antonio Conte. And there's been some real downs at time. Uh, But I've watched them last three home games. Everton, and of course, Everton are crap. We will talk about that on the show. Destroyed them. A good West Ham. I know they were severe a few days earlier, but still a good West Ham team. Deservedly beat them. And this Newcastle team, fair enough, but indifferent now because they've, they've, they're basically safe because the, the bottom three are so bad. But still, wallop them. And again, more praise for Daniel Levy. Number one, get a world-class, one of the top five managers in world football in. He did it. Secondly, back him in the transfer market in January. Uh, there's a debate to be had. There's been a few good January signings. But for me, I'd put Dan Kulisevsky as the number one signing anyone made in the January transfer window. In the top 10, I put Bentecourt in midfield. So he brought in two players that improved the first team. Again, the manager wanted them. The chairman got them. Number three, let's go back to the summer. All the ex-pros. You just can't keep an unhappy player in your squad. For me, I just think Harry Kane's got to go to Man City. They've got to let him go. And Daniel Levy, sorry, Tim, said, f*** off to every single pundit and every single analyst. And probably to Harry Kane as well. Mm. He was like, who's our best player? What's our best chance of qualifying for the Champions League? He had made a mistake in Nuno at that point. Not everything went perfectly well. But three things contributed to why Tottenham are doing so good right now. World-class manager, backed him in January, and just took that narrative of you have to sell your best player to bigger and better clubs. Tottenham are the sixth of the Super Six and haven't won a trophy compared to the other five. This Mm. big myth of you have to sell your best players. The player's got a contract and is an actual professional, and you don't sell him unless you want to or have to. Mm. And Levy's got all these things right, and that leads to them as we record the program before Arsenal played on Monday, sitting in fourth, North London derby to come, and Harry Kane is the best player in English football as we speak today. I would throw Paratici, Paratici in that conversation as well. Um, again, structure changes, uh, affords Paratici the opportunity to go out and make the decisions on players, bringing players in. The, 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 the one thing, and by the way, I agree with you. I, I tweeted out Kulisevsky and Bentacor are the two pieces that make this puzzle perfect yeah. right now. So I mean, good. the fact that Doherty and Davies and Emerson are getting goals right now. Antonio Conte is so good. He has retrieved the career of Matt Doherty, Doherty, and somehow made a footballer of bandy legs Emerson Royale. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't have done that with Luke Shaw and Aaron Wambasak. Anyway, anyway, don't don't do that again. Yeah, no, no, because because he doesn't fit Manchester United style of play, bro. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. So painful. So painful. Mind-boggling. Um, Tottenham's fun to watch. Uh, my guy Headley in Detroit. I, I, I tip my cap to you. Um, it's, it's a, it's the only thing that's interesting to me 
is I guess time kind of heals all wounds and good performances kind of makes us forget. But it was about a month and a half ago when Antonio Conte was effectively asking out loud to the entire world, am I the right manager for this group? And I don't know what the ish housery behind the scenes was. I don't know. I don't understand. I know results matter, but like the depressed Antonio Conte, like doing his post-game interviews, which is already like super low, right? Like, yes, I, I do know. Um, doing that whole thing, it's just, it's such a weird vibe at times with Antonio Conte. So now we're flying high, right? Everything's great, fantastic. But I just go back a couple months ago and it's, it just shows you how quickly when things start going well, there's like a little bit of self-belief and Tottenham feels like that's the club. If they have a little self-belief, they're often running and untouchable. But if they have a wobble, all of a sudden, you know, uh, that's what I'm looking for. Is there a yeah. wobble in these last couple of games where the self-belief dies a little bit and Antonio Conte starts questioning everything publicly again? Maybe, but they were nowhere near it a few weeks ago and they were going to be nowhere near it yeah. under the previous manager. And, and, and part of that, you know, we discussed it at the time, part of the strategy is call myself out in public, doubt myself in public, and then see what the players do, see if they react to me. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the whole Mourinho slagging everyone off at one point in history that did really work for players yeah. it stopped working um, at the moment Conte's trick is working but he's very self-critical as opposed to critical of the players but it helps massively what? that let's talk about Harry Kane I mean let's talk about him let's talk about the way he's playing right now because David Ginola God bless him compared him to Diego Maradona which I thought was quite <laughs> amusing but I can I can see where he's coming from because the assist he gave to I think it was the Doherty goal where he's on the right hand side 25 yards on the end line 10 from the side and he's able to pick him out in a crowd of opposition players you know he didn't score in the game Harry Kane Mm. yeah but he was the outstanding player on the field (laughs) by such a margin you know he ran the game and next week he'll score a hat trick this week he'll set up all the goals yeah you know he's becoming this complete footballer and you can see why, again, it becomes, what's his future? What's his future? Well, the future is Antonio Conte, in one of the top five managers in the world, he might deliver a title for this team. Hmm. He might deliver it. There are, you can see it. You can see in Romero, you can see in Kudosevsky and Bentecourt, and you can see in what he's getting from the additional players. And Hungmin Son's still there, despite being a terrible, terrible person, um, <laughs> is, is a great player. And they had the relationship still. And he's binning off Deadwood. Delhi Alley, absolutely not. Be gone with you, whatever you once were. You know, but Harry Kane, what he's doing with Harry Kane right now, that is something that everyone should be afraid of, I think. Should we give credit to Jose Mourinho for Harry Kane? For for asking him to no. not just play the high line, to ask him to come back deeper, to come back and be more of a connector in that... Because when I'm watching Harry Kane with this group of players and watching Sonny run and Kulisevsky run and the width between Emerson and Doherty start to get forward, when Harry Kane's dropping in, turn and pivot, hit one-time balls, little cutters down the grain, finding channels, opening up his hips, that little combination play, I just kind of go back to the Jose era. And when we were all hammering him and Mm. saying, you are ruining the career of Harry Kane by bringing him so deep. This is why his goals are dropping. This is why he's not getting the touches that we expect in that final third. It's because you're asking him to come too deep. I just wonder if there's a little bit of a trickle down to where that season with Jose, that season and a half, 
to where Harry feels a little bit more comfortable, not just being that nine, but kind of being that hybrid of a connector into the midfield and then breaking out. But mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. No, I don't no, like I think to, you're I don't right. like no. give Jose too much credit around here. But. It feels weird. I've, I've said, I think Daniel Levy's done a great job. And now I'll say, I think you're absolutely right on Mourinho. It's a, it's a weird show today. Um, <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right. It was a Mourinho idea. He delivered it. He, he, started, he was a significant part of making it happen. Um, and Kane has smashed through that door with a better manager. He is now doing even better performances. So definitely, I think mm-hmm. you've got to give Mourinho some credit. But right now, Antonio Conte is harnessing the power of this player. And um, I think it's probably a straight shootout now between Tottenham and Arsenal for fourth. They play each other the third last game of the season. Could be an incredible shootout, that. Uh, and the way things are going at the moment, who is going to stop Tottenham Hotspur? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe West Ham. We should talk about them. So I went to West Ham on uh, Sunday, the, the win against Everton. Oh, poor old Frank Lampard. Oh, well. Um, but before we get to the game and Everton, who are the, the big topic of discussion here, I think. Um, yeah. West Ham, you know, West Ham, I'll say, you know, I love what David Moyes has done for West Ham in the games like this and Aston Villa and Wolverhampton Wanderers. Over the years, we have not won those games. We somehow contrived to lose those games. Those kind of mid-range, awkward, not a particularly interesting, got to get the job done sort of games. And they've found a way to lose. And West Ham's success and Everton's success when he was there is winning those games when you get home and can't recall who you played. Yeah, And and that's what he has done. He just got a win. They just won it. It was so professional. And I'll never take that for granted because I've never experienced it really. Um, But my favorite bit about it um, was I was in the press area and I sit in like row D of the press area you meant to because it's so massive it was built for the olympics the stadium of course and so the media bit is the biggest in the country biggest i've ever sat on so there's always space so i end up having my own row when i go to west ham and i really spread out put me coat down here coffee down here put my feet up hands behind me back watch the game um but someone was in my row this week so i've really? been able because i work saturday i try not to work sunday if possible um, but I'd try and attend a game in London, West Ham on a Sunday all season. So I've been able to go, which, you know, it's, it's great to be able to attend as many games as you can. And there's a bloke sitting in my row. I'm like, who's this? He's uh, about 60, white hair, beautiful overcoat, like beautiful black overcoat. Looks like he could have been an extra in the Sopranos movie, The Many Saints of Newark. Like you, you, you would believe he was like, hey, that's Big Papa Fingers or something like that, you know. <laughs> There's hey, your 70, that? Sam. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Big Papa. I was, that was meant to be Italian-American. I don't know. Don't, don't do it. It always comes back to your 70, Sam. <laughs> don't do impressions, you varmint. Um, but he's there, and I'm like, oh, I wonder, what, wonder who that is. Never seen him before. And he's sitting there, got his little notepad, notepad out, and he's writing all his notes in French. Mm. It's the Leon Scout. The Leon spy before mm. the Europa League game on Thursday is sitting in my row. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm, I could be influential here. And I went sort of next to him and I picked up my phone, pretended to take a phone call, right? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm over to West Ham game, mate. Yeah. Uh, well, they're not playing all their best players. All their best <laughs> players are on the bench. Yeah, this guy, Nikola Vlasic. It's your cousin, Marvin, Marvin Vlasic. You know that amazing footballer you're looking for? (laughs) Well, listen to this. And like, oh, I was just, oh, Vlasic, amazing. Yarmolenko, oh, he'll definitely start Thursday. They're resting him now. 
Yeah, Yarmolenko really offers a lot for 90 minutes. Mark Noble, <laughs> he's a legend. That's when the cover got blown a little bit. It's a Diop. Yeah, he'll definitely start. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he'll definitely start. Like that, for like 20 minutes, I genuinely did this in the hope that I, because I sound right for the region. Yeah, yeah. So if he thought I was a local, I might have just won West Ham the first leg of the Europa League game because he'll go back to Leon today and he'll be like, uh, they start the second team. Uh, I hear from the local um, that they have a player called Nikola Avlasic, who is, uh, how you say, incredible. Uh, and there is the, the Yamalenko, you know, from the news. Um, I imagine he will play in the game because he is, um, how you say, great. <laughs> Incredible. It was a bit German. It was a bit... No, no, no. It was oh, so good. It was, was so it good? good. It was really good. I like yeah. I like the Lyon French right there. Mm. But I love how every word you said actually had like a question mark at the end of it. Oui. Even in the midst of a full sentence, there were question marks on each word. Oui, that, that's the sign of a true classic French impression. J'adore les côtés de français. J'adore espouser la français. Est-ce que je peux enlever ma veste au bord de la mer et la piscine? Oui, d'accord. I have no minuscule idea. Minuscule français. You, you got peux, it though. Est-ce que je peux uh, un kilo de sucre? <laughs> If sure. you ever want to find a kilo of sugar in the supermarket. Now you know. Um, but anyway, West Ham were pretty good. But Everton. Bowen, um, by the way. Really, really I, quick, stop. Jared Bowen. Th oh. This kid is phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. So much fun. Even on the ball. By the way, um, Keane. Oh, okay. We are doing Everton. Good. Oof. Oh, Oof. my God. Oof. So I, um, Oof. I knew yeah, they were bad, Everton. I knew they were bad. I watched them against Tottenham recently, so I knew they were bad. And I know Frank Lampard is not a particularly good manager and he's not been able to, <laughs> he has not been able to get this group together. And even mm. in his post-match press conference, the way he speaks, you're a bit like, I don't know if that's going to work with this group. But Michael Keane. Now, when we come to the end of this season, we will do some, you know, golden raspberries and we'll give out some awards for the worst players. There are two in the running. One is Juraj Kuchka of mm. Watford, who I'm pretty sure is a bricklayer who just found a kit in the dressing room, and he's somehow still there. The other one is Michael Keane. Michael Keane was a near £30 million signing for Everton. Yeah. And we talk a lot on Grumpy Pundits on Sirius XMFC about the waste of cash that Everton have, have done over the last few years. It's a lot. Pre and post machinery. It's incredible. But Michael Keane is so bad, positionally bad. Look at the goals against Watford. Look at the own goal against Tottenham. His, he was the captain of the team, which astonished me. His tackling is awful. His marking is awful. His positioning is awful. His attitude is awful. He looks like someone who's just gone. They've just, they just don't, you know, when you start, when you have a bad time of it and you start questioning the basic things that you do, like yeah, suddenly yeah, you yeah. go and make a cup of tea and you're like, is it tea bag first or is it milk first? Just these basic things because you've just gone. You've got mm. to get away. Something's happened to him. I don't know if it's a personal thing. I can only talk about the football pitch. But this player is not the player that was playing for England four years ago. This is not a lead defender. Every decision he makes is wrong. Down to, in this game, number one, look at West Ham's winning goal. He suddenly goes off running in midfield with the ball yeah. at feet. 
He's yeah. the centre half. Yeah. And he suddenly is in midfield, running around with it, out of position. They give it away, and suddenly Antonio's through. And there's no covering defence because he's gone walkabout. And then on a yellow kept, card, keeping everybody in, keeping everybody on side. Yeah. Then on a yellow card, and he's holding Antonio all game. Could have been sent off multiple times for persistent fouling. He then hacks into. I'm pretty sure it was Antonio on the edge of the penalty area and gets a second yellow yeah. as the captain at two one down. Yeah. And that's an embodiment, right? When, when when the captain's doing that, your thirty million pound centre half is doing that. Danny, what chance do Everton have of staying in this league, beating Burnley on Wednesday? What a mammoth game, if that's what the captain's doing. Well, it's, what, three games in a row now with the players sent off for Everton. So, But when I'm, when I'm watching Everton play, it's not because they're overexcitable. It's not because for a momentum-building, tough tackle, kind of change the mood of the game, swing the momentum in their direction, it's not those. They're, it's it's just stupidity. It's it's just not recognizing in the mo- you know like transition fouls. Well, don't lift your leg as high as his waist. Challenges sitting on a yellow card. Well, if you're gonna lunge, you don't have. First off, you don't have to win the ball in that position. Secondly, don't get caught late. And, and that that's exact. So, yeah, Frank Lampard's in trouble, man. He's in trouble. And and for Deli Ali coming over. Oh. And 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 <laughs> he can't even get into this team. Mm. He can't get into this team. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, and and Donny Van de Beek, um, his inability to stay on the field for this group since coming over from Manchester United. It's yeah, it, they're in trouble, man. But I guess the good news for Everton is everyone else down there sucks just as bad as they're sucking right now. Yeah. So um, they're, they're three clear of Watford, having played two games as we speak. Uh, less less one yeah. is Burnley on Wednesday so it'll be down to one game difference but that's the thing isn't it with a game difference we talk a lot about the game difference when we talk about the top four race sorry Tim but the games don't mean mm. the points is what matter and Everton could have 40 games in hand mm. they ain't gonna win them <laughs> we're gonna beat anybody it was genuinely atrocious and West Ham you know I mentioned it at the top of the program they played at like 25 percent they were so reserved in this game players were barely sprinting when they went 2-1 up they brought on my my favorite player of all time the legendary mark noble and he just played it left and right right to left left to right right to left keep the ball keep the ball keep the ball there was 30 minutes left but everyone was thinking about leon on thursday because they got the biggest game of the last 40 years west ham on thursday and did everton take advantage of that not for a second hey for you cresswell should have been red <laughs> Kick the ball in his face while he was on the ground? Hey, for kicking Richarlison, I'd give him a pay rise. So this week before recording the program, I, I asked on Twitter um, for some listener questions because there's so much ground to cover in these shows and often we get down a blind alley of talking about whether Ralph Rainnick's any good for 45 minutes and then we do a bit about Qatar and then we're done. So we wanted to try and cover some ground that the listeners wanted us to cover. And I got so many responses, I had to get Tim to collate some of the topics that we haven't covered at this point that you guys listening to the program would like us to cover. Uh, so, Tim, what have we got? Uh, we have a lot of stuff here, and I've been eliminating them as we go through the show based on stuff we've already talked about, so we're not retreading, again, the same Ranyik or, you know, Big Papa Fingers chat that we were doing <laughs> earlier today. Wait, who was uh, Big Papa Fingers? 
you have to listen back to the show. It was a joke already, that you made, actually. I've already forgotten Big Papa Fingers. <laughs> and for people that joke. are listening, it'll be in the title of the show because I enjoyed it so much. Uh, all right, let's start with our friend Toby Gillis, who you can hear sometimes here calling games on Sirius XMFC uh, for our partners at Talk Sport. And Tom, I this one will start with you here. He just says, break down all the great things about Bruno Lage's Wolves team. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I spoke to Toby um, after the game at the weekend, and he was like, oh, I enjoy watching Wolves. And you know when someone says something to you so baffling, you're like a slack-jawed yokel. You're like, what? Like when someone says, oh, I like coffee, but I like to drink it upside down and pour it up in nostrils. You're like, what, what, what? Like Wolverhampton Wanderers are just so diabolical to watch. They are despicable to watch. Duncethery is fun. And this is not that. I want to find something because Duncethery, I'm like, it's like players when they get subbed off and they like, stop and take their shoes off to, to delay the yeah. clock. You're like, yes. Pull the shin guards. Yeah. Yes. But this is not that. They scored the opening goal on the break. Johnny Otto, great volley. Ashley Young then scored an own goal, something, frankly, we can all enjoy. So fair enough. Mm. Um, the celebration police, Ashley Young. But then they just keep the ball in their own half, left to right, right to left. Every time there's a collision between two players, they jump on the ground like they've been fouled. <laughs> they just pump it down the channel like they're playing rugby, trying to play for position. They have no interest in trying to win the game from that point. They whinge, they moan. It's so hard to watch, and they do it. The moment you can, you score a goal, Wolverhampton Wanderers, the moment you concede against them, they just try and shut the game down. And there's bit, then they try and start fights. Every time there's a tackle, they try and start a fight. Every time that someone goes through, they pull their shirt, but then they'll do even more to waste more time. Mm. They break up the game continually and endlessly. Being behind against them, it's like being on a, a stretch rack. And you're on the stretch rack in medieval <laughs> times. And every time, every minute is another mm. bit more on the stretch rack. And so mm. you end up six foot seven and your arms come off. Just because I was a Catholic and not a Protestant in 1510. Sorry, the Tudors. Um, I know what a reference. Um, but it's really good. But it just it it it's it's staggeringly bad. And yet Toby told me he liked it. I can only assume he's into sadomasochism. Tim, I, I feel like there was a, a certain amount of respect through that description as to what wolves are doing so well. I would love it season. if it was my team. Don't oh, get me wrong. Don't no, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but they're not my team, and I can't stand it. I can all I heard was respect the whole time. You were so animated and so pissed off at the way that they play. And there was like a certain amount of respect. Like, I kind of respect that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> respect. Respect. All I can yeah. hear is Jose respect, Mourinho. Man. Yeah. Respect. Respect. Right. Let's move on to this one. Uh, Tom, I, there's two questions here from Jason on Twitter who got involved. The first one, I think you already know the answer, as you've mentioned. Uh, but we'll just go with this one first. So, Donnie, I'll start with you. In the group, would you rather Wales or Scotland or Ukraine? Ooh. I, I wouldn't want Ukraine right now, even though because I think of the story. It's an incredible story, and I just think the momentum behind something like that, if I'm just talking from a footballing standpoint, I do think their inclusion in the World Cup would be incredible. Um, I, I, I think I would, I would choose Scotland, even though Scotland's in a better run of form than obviously they have been. I'm also Scottish, done, Seth. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think... In terms of what Wales has, I think I would choose Scotland out of the three. 
Tom, I assume Scotland for you as well. Oh, flower of Scotland. When will we see you like again? Proud Edward's army and send him homeward to think again. Okay, that answers that. Uh, the other question from Jason, and Danny, I'll go back to you and start with you here. Is Xavi Ball working at Barcelona? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, I, where, wherever you fall in line with your, your either love or disgust for Barcelona, the one thing that I think we have to put our hands up and say is this has been, in terms of the timeline, an extraordinary turnaround. An extraordinary turnaround from losing Lionel Messi in the summer to watching this team try to navigate on the field while all of the havoc is was circling, the vultures were circling. There is a blueprint here that we are going to be looking at over the next couple of years, and teams are going to try to replicate in terms of how quickly this club has gotten their feet back underneath them. And Xavi, in particular, the response from the players, it, it, it's, there, it's there to see. Game in, game out, you know exactly what they're trying to do. And, and whether they fell into players or they didn't fall into players, um, when, when you look at just the three additions in the January window and, and now you have Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang running that line, I, you have style with possession and you have uh, an, an ability to stretch that field and just be ruthless. So, yeah, for me, Xavi, absolutely. Um, we're going to look back and say, this is not only the perfect timing of a manager to come in and lead the club, and obviously the historic values of what he did as a player, but more importantly, how the club navigated such a turbulent time. This one comes here from Steve, and it's for both of you. It's more of a statement. We'll just see what the reaction you guys have is. Uh, he said, for all the praise of Man City, and I am a lifelong Man City fan, not having a tip of the sword or tip of the spear, if you listen to Grumpy Pundits on Sirius XMFC, still will or could be their undoing. They had a chance three or four times to put five or six in and only score two, losing on goal differential, and that could they could lose the league on goal differential is what he's saying, and still think it could bite them in the Champions League. Tom, what say you? I just think with this debate at this point, being as we've done it now for nine months, mm -hmm. I would just say the proof is now going to be in the pudding. We're now at the point where we're about to eat dessert. The pie's been in the oven. There's three minutes left on the timer. We can smell the apple around the house. Granny's apple pie is ready, and we're about to eat it. So if they win the Champions League and the Premier League without a striker, then it's worked, and he's a genius, and it changes football forever. If they lose the title to Liverpool and they don't win the Champions League, from now on, every team has a striker forever. Such has been the great experiment that Pep Guardiola has done on us all this year because he was finding everything far too easy. So I'm just going to keep my powder dry on it. I prefer to have a striker. I think they should have a striker. But if they win everything, I don't want to look like a total idiot for saying right now the other thing. I'll just, do, I'll just ask you, Tim. Isn't Divock Origi the only true number nine on your roster at Liverpool? I mean, if I, you're just because we do this thing about body types, right? Yeah. Jota can't be a true number nine, or Bobby Firmino doesn't play the position as a true number nine. Wouldn't you say that Divock Origi is only like the only true number nine at Liverpool? Yeah, I would, yeah. I mean, in terms of what you're looking for for your prototypical striker, yes, I would yeah, say. Yeah. So, what is prototypical striker anymore, right? It's just about interpretation. So, I would make the argument that Liverpool plays as much of a true tip of the spear number nine as Man City does. It's just 
this idea of Harry Kane, Kareem Benzema, Erling Holland, mm. Robert Lewandowski. There's only a few of these type of players out there, right? Look at Lukaku at Chelsea. They're choosing not to play Lukaku as a true number nine. And that's what Chelsea, that was the one thing Chelsea needed was just that true goal scoring number nine. They're not even using him. So didn't work inter- out great the weekend for Chelsea though, did it? To oof, be fair. Oof, oof. Didn't even way. get to do that today. Side note, Christian Eriksen, my God, oh. if you're going to be a free agent in the summer, you're going to have teams clamoring for yeah. your signature because this is such an extraordinary storyline and the joy on his feet, even if he's getting upended, um, I mean, that smile, Yeah, what an incredible story. I'm glad we got to mention Chelsea because we did have a lot of people say, hey, we need to mention Chelsea losing. So that's there. Uh, I t- Dunny, I did see Erickson linked to Manchester United this morning. Uh, don't mm. do that, Christian. Uh, a couple what? more here. What? Tom Tom on Twitter uh, says, and interested from obviously a former player and a fan's point of view, um, I'd be interested to hear your guys' take on how challenging it is to get promoted. As a Sunderland supporter, I figured we'd be out of League One by now, but it's not as simple as that, I guess. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's a nightmare. It's it's a, it's a, it, what what happens is, and Sunderland are a very different case because they're down in League One now, and they had all sorts of problems with their owners, and another owner has come in and, and seems to want to hire and fire at will because it, when you go down the divisions, everyone seems to think they're Chelsea because equivalent, they're a millionaire to a club with a smaller budget, and mm-hmm. they are. Uh, but they act like tyrants and doesn't work for anybody, but they keep on doing it because that's how these people made their money. I made my money in printer sales. And because of that, I run my football club like I run my printer business. And it's like, yeah, well, it's not a printer business. It doesn't work that way. Hire a manager, give them, a, give them an amount of time to do it and a decent budget and it'll be okay. That, that, that's what football proves. But the championship, certainly, I'll talk about, because West Ham been relegated a couple of times to this and you've got to get back up. You've got mm. to get back up fast. You get parachute payments, which mean your budget is significantly larger than anyone else in that division. So any competent club with a competent manager will probably come back up these days. And that has only ballooned over the years. Look at Fulham and Bournemouth right now. Look at why we keep getting Norwich back, why Watford keep coming back. You know, they have a bigger budget than anyone in the championship for that year and come back. If you don't make it back that first year, that's when you get to Leeds, Middlesbrough, Nottingham Forest, Blackburn yeah. Rovers, yeah. Um, Queen's Park Rangers, pretty Charlton. much everybody. Charlton. Charlton. Um, and, and, and they came from an era where they had the parachute payments, but they weren't like they are now because the percentage mm-hmm. of the TV profits. So incredibly difficult, incredibly, incredibly difficult because so many of the teams are more even. Hmm. And I mean, to be fair, it used to be that the championship is what you watch if you wanted more of a, you know, Formula E where everyone starts on the same engine. That's yeah. even gone a little bit now because of the parachute payments. It's become a Premier League in itself. Um, but third down to 15th in the championship could all finish in the playoff spots. And then you get the playoffs, which are incredible. Mm. You know, they're like MLS Cup, but what you win is more money than you could ever possibly have imagined. Yeah, uh, and glory, history, fame, uh, fortune, all those things. Uh, from, from an American standpoint, watching, the, the one thing that I've always found intriguing is how quickly either the panic selling or the panic buying starts once relegation happens. And obviously the stipulations within the players' contracts and being internationals and blah, 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 goes on and on and on. But just speaking with Dane Murphy, who's now um, at Nottingham Forest and and through his time at Barnsley, just kind of trying to understand the amount of money that's being spent, 
the the and especially during the pandemic, right? How many clubs were so reliant on the gate to actually pay off all of their wages and pay off all of their employees. And it was literally game by game by game. And, and even then being overdrawn. So it, it, it's, it's just spending crazy monopoly money to get back to the Premier League as quickly as possible. And when that doesn't happen over that first three to four years, that's when the club is in really, really dire situations. Yeah, we had a couple people mentioned too. We've done enough Everton today, as much as I like slagging them off. Uh, but a couple people saying they could become the next Leeds, the next Sunderland if they go down. So it'd be if Mashiri pulls out the money, and I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen to anybody. But if Mashiri pulls out the money, um, then then they're in in such nightmarish um, problems if they right. go down Everton. Plus, they've right. got to keep Frank Lampard, which ain't great. Yeah, not great. A couple more here before we wrap it. And again, you can always send these in at SiriusXMFC, at Thomas J. Rennie, at Brian Dunseth, at Tim Horsey. We'll, we kind of keep a log of these and go through them as we can. A uh, couple more here. Dunny, this one is probably just specifically for you. Uh, let's get some MLS in here. This is from Mad Hat Tricks on Twitter, who is an Austin FC fan. And just a statement he wants you to respond to. A 2-0 lead in the 60th minute is not the time to make defensive subs and a tactical switch to see out a game on the road. What was mm. Josh Wolf doing? Oh, Wolfie. Um, but see, we do this thing, right, where we say, oh, my God perfect substitution patterns really had a positive effect on the game and then when the team doesn't do well it's like oh this guy's a moron bro how's he doing why is he going to five in the back man guess what going to five in the back isn't necessarily a defensive-minded change when, when you do go listen look at antonio conte if you interpret playing three in the back hybrid five in the back your wing backs are going to go higher up, give you more width. It's going to give you more security with your flat three. You can have more security with your defensive six, and there'll be an understanding between your eights and your wide players of how to get that teeter-totter balance. When it doesn't work out, we call the managers idiots. When it does work out, if they would have got that third goal, all of a sudden we're saying, oh, a defensive-minded change leads to a goal? Genius. So, I don't know. This whole thing about tactics, 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 like conference league. Um, again, I just think there, there's going to be so many games in which we're talking about this chess match, especially with the substitutions available that that last 30 minutes is going to completely look different than what the start looks like, but it's all dependent upon if you lose from a lead position or you draw from a lead position. That's where it's unforgivable for managers. It's hindsight bias, of course. Uh, all right, this one, guys, a bit of a, a statement here that comes with a question. If you don't have an answer, maybe we can start thinking of these because Chris on Twitter has nominated his Dunsethery of the weekend. So oh, I'm, brilliant. I'm, I'm going to read his out, and then if you guys have any examples uh, from this weekend, we can do this, and then maybe we could bring this back. I really like this from Chris. He goes, my nomination for Dunsethery of the week is Lorenzo Pellegrini, who deliberately received a time-wasting yellow for Roma as he was subbed off so he can rest next week against bottom side Salernitana and reset his yellow card accumulation for games against Napoli and Inter. Pretty mm. strong contender there for Dunsethery of the week. I love, I love it. I love it. I love it. Who said that again? This is from uh, Chris Nagel on Twitter. By the way, 909 strong, Chris Upland, California, in the house on this one. You don't know what that is. There were so many words there that I yeah. didn't understand. Area code, Upland is the town that I grew up in. Chris right. Nagel, 
is uh, is Upland strong, even though I went to Upland High School, so we'll forgive him. Um, done Seth or either. Every, by the way, side note, unless you're, uh, well, we've seen it before. You know as a player if you're sitting on yellow card warning or mm. if you're sitting on yellow card accumulation. And we saw Sergio Ramos do this in Champions League not too long ago where he goes and gets a yellow and basically says to the referee, I'm going to foul him. I'm, I don't want to get a red card, but I need to pick up this yellow card. I need to miss this next match because it's a terrible, it's a perfect match to miss. Every player knows. Every player knows. I've said to the referee, I'm sitting on yellow card warning. I'm going to do everything in my power not to get a yellow card today, okay? Just work with me a little bit. And then it like puts that little bit of time in the referee's mind where he thinks about it, right? Unless I cross the line. If you know you, you're you sitting on yellow card warning and the next game stinks, of course. Take a break. Cabecito. Unfiltered. Chill out. Take it. I love it. Um, dance of the week is two things for me. A, everything Wolverhampton Wanderers did from the first minute to last minute in the game where they done set their way to victory <laughs> against Aston Villa. Secondly, we mentioned it earlier, Richarlison, right? Now, Aaron Cresswell, first of all, he tries to buy a free kick and he does that bit where as soon as a player's near him, he jumps on the ground and gets one, referees and mugs, and he gets it. Aaron Cresswell's got the ump with it, so he kicked him in the chest and everyone's gone, why has he not been sent off? Well, the reason he didn't get sent off for it is because Richarlison then does five rolls holding his face. And it didn't kick him in the face. He kicked him in the chest. So if he held his chest, he might have got something from it. But he went off holding his face because he tried to go full Dunseth, but didn't have the wit to be Brian. So there you go. That's my answer. That was this week's Week in the Tackle. If you enjoyed this episode, um, give us a great review. Five-star rating if you can, and leave a good review. If the review is interesting and funny and witty and describes how sexually attractive I am, Tim will read it on the program, maybe sensually. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Download today and tap podcasts for video clips of the show and loads more. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, all the rest of it at SiriusXMFC. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is produced by Tim Horsey. The executive producer is Pete Corey. Sound design was by Joey DeFazio. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM FC's Program Director, Joe Tolleson. SiriusXM Podcasts. <laughs>